Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen. I'm here today with my co-host, Matthew Gold, co-founder and CEO of Unstoppable Domains, and our guest, Duncan Cock Foster, co-founder at Nifty Gateway. Welcome, Duncan. So happy to have you here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So to get us kicked off, take us back to your the beginning of your crypto journey. When did you first get interested in crypto and how did you get into the space? I got into crypto in 2017, 2018. People talk about how like bull runs get people into crypto and like get them interested. That That is definitely what happened for me. At the time, I was just graduating college. I was in my first job. I've always been like had entrepreneurial dreams. And, and in college, actually, I started a, a clothing company where we, we did sort of like direct-to-consumer clothing. Started that with a friend of mine named Ryan Walsh. It was a really good experience. I mean, we made some some great shirts and we sold them all, a lot of them. But for me, the main takeaway was that it, it can be really difficult to start a company. And it's a little bit easier if you're starting a company in something that's new and sort of like an emerging technology area and a, a, a domain where people don't really like understand it. The clothing, like everybody understands clothing, it's it's pretty well you know, it's well established, so it can be harder to compete with the incumbents. So because of that, I, I was really sort of on the hunt for new technology areas. And uh, crypto really piqued my interest, as I imagine it did for a lot of people back then. It's super polarizing. It seems to inspire people who, who deeply hate it just as much as people who, who deeply love it. I got really, really into crypto. And honestly, for me, I've, I've never been that motivated by it finance or, or like the financial aspect of things that I just never found that as like interesting. I've always found like creative and consumer technology more interesting. So specifically, I got really into NFTs. And this was back in back in 2018. I, I just got super into NFTs. Now we're in 2021. NFTs are finally getting big. People are starting to hear about them. A lot of people today still don't understand what NFTs are. So back in 2018, when you first got introduced to NFTs, how did you go about learning about what it is and wrapping your mind around this totally new concept? Honestly, the you know my number one source of information was Twitter and uh, Discord too. I talk about this all the time because I, I would tell my family and friends and, and Griffin and I would talk to our family and friends about NFTs. And for the most part, people were incredibly, you know, skeptical. And the reaction was like, wow, that's like so dumb. I can't believe anyone does that. But on Twitter and on Discord, we, you know, we were able to interact with the, the group of people who are NFT enthusiasts and were actually like really, really cared about them and where there was like a culture developing. And I think that was sort of non, non-obvious at the time. But um, if you went a layer deeper and you like listen to what people were actually saying, then you could see that there was like real passion for NFT technology. And so that that honestly is more than anything what what gave me the faith to like keep working in the space, despite all the all the people who said it was really dumb, is like there was this group of people who were really, really dedicated to the concept, really, really into NFTs and uh, had strong conviction. That was the heuristic I used, more or less. Yeah. So for people listening today who, you know, maybe have been introduced to NFTs a little bit or think NFTs are really dumb, like why would somebody 
pay money for this digital art when you can just download the JPEG or the PDF or whatever, like they just don't understand any of this. How would you explain the value of an NFT to somebody like that? And, you know, a couple sentences in an easy to understand way that also gets them excited about it. Oh, well, that's, that's easy. But usually what I tell them is this actually isn't a new concept at all. It's like over a hundred years old. And like we in the NFT world have just basically taken a concept that exists in the physical art world and digitized it and use that to make like a whole new type of art collectible. I'm speaking in like a broader sense. This is sort of like an unconscious thing that's happened. But but for example, in the physical art world, okay, let me let me give you an example. Let's say an artist makes a makes a print of a hundred, and then later that night, I break into the print shop. I have the lithograph, and I I use it to make ten more prints. Are the ten extra prints that I made authentic? No, obviously not. They're like forgeries that I made, even though they're physically indistinguishable from the original print run of of a hundred. The only difference between the the original run of a hundred and the ten that I made is that the artist authenticated the first hundred, and the ones that I made are are scams. They're they're made by me breaking into the print shop. It's the exact same thing with an NFT. Anyone can download the image file, but that's not actually what gives art authenticity. The artist permission is what gives art authenticity. So. The artist, by creating the NFT, is essentially making this digital signature where they say, yes, I'm, I'm, I've created this work of digital art and I'm turning it into an edition of 10 or an edition of 100. And these 100 NFTs represent ownership. And uh, yeah, that, that's honestly what I would tell them, that this is not a it's, it's not a new concept. It's it's taken from the physical art world. NFTs are just mainstreaming it and, and making it accessible for everybody. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like if you're walking down New York City and then you see all the people selling the fake handbags and stuff on the streets, right? It's like you can, yeah, you can go and buy a $20 fake Louis Vuitton purse. But if you're somebody that cares about having a Louis Vuitton purse, like you're probably not going to be happy with that. Right, exactly. It, yeah, that that's a great example. Yeah. So other than lack of education, do you see any other barriers that are keeping people from entering into the space of buying NFTs or understanding NFTs and maybe more broadly preventing people from entering into the crypto space in general? Absolutely. And this was really our, this was the one thing that we decided to focus on when we started Nifty Gateway back in 2018. It it was just very difficult for anyone to use crypto technology at all because onboarding onto MetaMask, you know, buying Ethereum and, and, Sending it to your MetaMask wallet is a—it's uh, intimidating, especially for people who have never done it before. Adam Draper, our you know the head of Boost VC, shout out Boost VC, right, Matthew? Yeah, we were we were in Boost together. But let's go Boost. Let's go Boost. <laughs> I, hope I hope you're listening, Adam. He hates this anecdote because I put him on blast. But the anecdote I always used to like talk about how confusing it was was back in 2018, someone was trying to send Adam Draper a Crypto Kitty, and. Uh, he was just trying to receive it as a gift, not even buy it. And he spent four hours trying to receive it as a gift and then gave up because he was so confused. And like, I think that anecdote illustrates like just how intimidating the technology can be for newbies. So from the beginning, Nifty Gateway was really an attempt to, to make NFTs more accessible. The idea is like, if we make them more accessible, then more people will collect them. So you can, you can see that right now, niftygateway.com, the current product, you never have to onboard onto cryptocurrency in order to collect NFTs. It's all about just like buying the NFTs that you like, and then you can buy and sell them without ever getting cryptocurrency, cash out directly to your bank account. If, if you're in the US, you can cash out to Gemini internationally. But that's really the, the, the driving concept behind what we're doing. We want to let people access NFTs without ever having to onboard into cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency onboarding is very difficult. 
and that's where the name comes from too. It's it's a gateway into NFTs, a, a nifty gateway. Got it. And is that something that sort of differentiates you guys from competitors like OpenSea or other companies that you can buy NFTs from? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say that, like that's one of the main things that we focus on. The other main thing that we focus on is really the, the quality of NFTs. Basically, Nifty Gateway is a cosign, the same way that an art gallery is sort of a cosign of the, the artist that they present, where like an artist on releasing on Nifty Gateway, we know they're in it for the long term. We know they, they have a, a, you know, a devoted fan base. That, that's another really main thing that we try and focus on. And we, so we spend a lot of effort on like artist, artist relations and, and like helping our artists build their own careers. Because this was the other thing in 2018. Right after CryptoKitties, there were a lot of really low quality NFT projects. Like the example I always like to talk about is um, crypto masterpieces. The, the whole project was they just tokenized Dutch masters and they just sold you an NFT. And I was like, this, this literally makes no sense. Like, why do you guys have the rights to tokenize this? But that, that was the example of there are a lot of those kind of projects way back in the day when we first started Nifty Gateway. Now, honestly, I think that the average quality of, of NFTs that are out there is much higher than it was a few years ago. And I define quality really just as like effort and authenticity put into the to the artwork of the, the project itself. People are like really approaching it with far more authenticity now. But back then, it, this was more of a problem. For Nifty Gateway itself, so how does it work? You know, what's the process to go through in order to mint or do a drop? Do you guys curate every person who lists on Nifty Gateway? Uh, how, how's that set up? Correct. Yeah, we're the only platform where all of the content released on the primary market is explicitly signed off on a, by us before it goes live. Of course, that comes with it o- its own set of challenges because, you know, if a project is controversial, if people don't like it, we're, we're liable and we're on the hook. But yeah, the, the, only, the only primary market releases that happen are through our drops. Those are scheduled by us. We used to do a drop every two weeks. Now we do a drop every day, sometimes even two a day. A lot of other NFT projects are more like platforms. So you'll be onboarded and then you can release work when you want. But on Nifty Gateway, everything is explicitly signed off by us. So you guys are more like like a Christie's auction house or something like that instead of like an eBay where anyone can list. You guys like make sure that the people coming on have at least some level of credibility if they're going to be on Nifty. Correct. That's yeah, that's the value prop. Got it. And then uh, who's using Nifty Gateway now? And like, are you seeing normal people use it yet? Or I guess that's a that's a weird definition. So I'm, I'm actually just wondering, who are you seeing using it uh, today? What, who are the beneficiaries? Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, there are tons of normal people using it. I think people underestimate like the extent to which like NFT collecting is is a fun social hobby for a lot of people. And that's like happened way faster than I thought. So a lot of my friends actually will have group chats centered around the drops where every time there's a nifty gateway drop happening, they're like, okay, what are we buying guys? I remember a few weeks ago, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine and uh, it was seven, all of our drops are at 7 p.m. Eastern. And at 6.55, he like came running out of his room and sat down at his computer and he's like, okay guys, what should we buy on the drop? I thought he was talking to me. He was actually on a group chat with his like cohort of buyers, people that he shops on Nifty Gateway with. Like he was on a video call with them, which was like just such a funny moment to me. So I, yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, of normal people. I, I don't even know how to define normal people, but from like all different walks of life have been like telling me about their nifty gateway collections and talking to me about collecting, et cetera. I feel like the market is mostly art right now for these types of NFTs. Is that true for you guys at nifty gateway? And are you seeing any other projects out there other than art or maybe like I've seen music for instance, is being uh, tokenized with NFTs. I'm just kind of curious what you guys are seeing happening. 
Totally. We, we are mostly focused on art. One of the coolest a- aspects about this is like NFTs as a medium, I think, allow musicians to contribute to the creation of art objects in a way that they are not able to do with other mediums. If you're a musician, it's like you can't really create a painting. You can't really create a sculpture that incorporates your music, but you can create an NFT that incorporates your music. So I, I think a lot of the, the musicians that release on our platform really are creating art. They're just creating this new medium of art where like that wasn't really possible before NFTs. We're, we're mostly art focused, but there definitely are like other NFT projects, um, you know, like hash masks, crypto punks. I think there's a lot of NBA top shots. There, yeah, there's there's like a, a pretty wide variety of NFTs out there. But on Nifty Gateway, it's it's mostly digital art. So I just want to call out something I see in your background that you've got a lot of pieces of art hanging up. I know for one of your screens, you actually had a moving art piece hanging up before this. So for people who are maybe skeptics about NFTs right now, other than just getting educated on it, understanding more of the value of NFTs, what are some other tangible ways that you can sort of onboard people onto NFTs? You know, so one example would be to buy a digital photo frame and put your NFT there so you can hang it on your wall. And this more resembles what people are familiar with today is like looking at art on their wall. Is there anything else people can do to onboard themselves to NFTs? Honestly, go to niftygateway.com and start buying. That's that's the best onboarding. There's no replacement. That sounds self-interested, but I, that really is my my advice. Um, or at least like go scope out some stuff you want to buy and then wait for a drop that you like and buy that. A lot of people have like misaligned expectations on Nifty Gateway, I think. Like so a lot of people, maybe they've seen like the price of some NFTs go up in the past. So they expect to be able to come in buy an NFT and then resell it for more an hour later or a day later. I, I tend to advise against that. Really, I think you should be like pretty pretty serious and intentional about your NFT purchases because I mean NFTs are like like all art, they're they're not nearly as liquid as as some assets. If you're in a rush to sell your NFTs, like you're you're likely going to sell them at a loss. So really what I encourage people to do is is identify the art and the artist that they really like and they connect with purposefully collect those nfts and then just be patient with them and and really try and build a collection that like brings you joy from the artists you like as opposed to just you know i mean people get burned when they speculate on all all kinds of stuff but we do see people who get burned speculating on nfts on nifty gateway can you shout out some of your favorite artists on nifty gateway i mean i I love all the nifty gateway artists uh they're an, an incredibly talented group of people and i'm really honored for the ability to work with them this one I have in my background, this is a Raul Cordero, very, very early. I think he released in our second or our third drop. So almost a full year ago at this point. All the artists on Nifty Gateway are fantastic. I, well, I have a question, actually, that maybe you can help me with. It's like, how do you guys figure out pricing, you know, for these NFTs that get listed? Like, you know, what do you think about the $6.6 million Beeple painting that recently got sold? You know, do you think that... The value of this digital art could eventually surpass the value of physical art you know, as more creators get in here and make it um, over the next several years. I actually do, and here's why. I was listening to a clubhouse the other day with Peter Fenton. They were talking about their So Rare investment. So Rare is another NFT project who just raised a, raised a large Series A from Benchmark. Um, great project. Congratulations to them. But Peter Fenton was talking about Uber because he, he was also an investor in Uber. And he... Uh, he, he said that back when Uber was like first getting started, they sat down and they did some calculations about market size. And they looked at the, the total amount of spend on black cars in each city. 
And they ended up being wrong by a factor of about a hundred. And the reason was, it's, it, it sounds so obvious in retrospect, but in most cities, it's very difficult to call a taxi. You know, it's a huge pain in, pain in the ass to get a taxi, but it's really easy to call an Uber. So like people ended up traveling, like people ended up going more places because like transportation was so much more accessible. It increased the market size of transportation by quite a, quite a large amount. I actually think the same thing is happening with art and NFTs like right in front of our eyes. A lot of my friends who are into collecting NFTs are not collecting physical art, largely because it's, it's intimidating, it's difficult. Physical art, you, it's, it's really difficult to move. You have to send it across the country if you want to move it. Frankly, it's like it's much. It can be much harder to sell digital art than an NFT. So I, I think we're actually already seeing early evidence that because NFTs are so much more accessible than physical art, you know, overall people are going to spend more money on collecting NFTs than they do physical art. I mean, of, of course, you know, that probably a very self-interested answer for me to give, but I do think we're seeing early signs of that. I honestly think that the NFT market will be larger at the end of the day. People spend about sixty billion dollars a year on physical art. We're still nowhere near that on on NFTs. You know, we're at like maybe a fiftieth of that annual like money spent. That's my opinion. I think I know your answer to this, but so do you see this NFT hype cycle right now as a bubble that's going to burst, or do you see it sort of continuing on into the long term? Whenever you have something that's going from this activity is not done at all, like buying NFTs, to like this is a widespread activity, it's not going to be a, a smooth ride up. There's going to be pockets of irrational exuberance around along the way. My personal heuristic for like, is this in a bubble? I try and look at the number of buyers who are, who basically like would have to sell whatever they're buying at the end of the month in order to pay their bills. People expecting short-term price appreciation can really lead to sort of like irrational exuberance and bubbles. And frankly, like I, I am seeing a little bit more of that on Nifty Gateway than I was a few months ago. But it, even if this is like a, a period of ex inflated expectations, which is certainly possible, um, you know, I still think like there's a there's a much bigger picture here and there's a longer term vision of NFTs being a, a type of art collecting that's significantly more accessible and significantly easier to do. So, yeah, even if short term, maybe there is a little bit of exuberance, but long term, I think, uh, you know, it's long term NFTs are definitely here to stay. I know earlier you mentioned, you know, when you first got into the crypto space, you didn't really get in from a finance angle like that just wasn't something you're interested in. And so for people listening who I think a lot of people out there, you know, still think that crypto and blockchain is all about finance or or else it's for gamers or, you know, people like that. But I think NFTs really makes the crypto space feel a lot more welcoming and relatable to the masses. Do you see NFTs as being like a gateway for the masses to get into crypto? Yeah, absolutely. I would say I do. There's a lot of crypto concepts that people slowly learn as they, they start to collect NFTs and then, you know, they get interested in other stuff and the people, the NFT people they follow on Twitter are, are tweeting about DeFi. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great gateway. Interestingly, I think, you know, the issues that NFTs have to deal with are, are a little bit different because we're in a, we're in a, a cultural space and we're, you know, we're, we're maybe closer to a movie studio than a bank which means people are worried about different things. Like a good example, I think, is the the electricity that, that uh, blockchains use. That That's a big issue for a lot of artists where they say like blockchains use a lot of electricity, even though I think NFTs account for, uh, by our math, they account for about 0.9% of transactions on Ethereum mainnet. You know, it's a really, it's a pretty small percentage of transactions that are going to NFTs. And 
as we like to point out, the Ethereum blockchain is going to use the same amount of energy regardless of whether or not people are using it for NFTs. But still, I think because we operate in a cultural space that is like more of a, a concern for for our average customer and our average artist than maybe it is for people using a DeFi protocol. Yeah. And so looking ahead, where do you see NFTs progressing in, for the rest of 2021? Where, where do you see us being in a year from now with NFTs? I mean, honestly, uh, any prediction I make is going to be wrong. You know, when we, we first launched our, our Nifty Gateway 2.0 marketplace last year after getting acquired by, by Gemini, we, uh, we had $30,000 in volume in, in March of 2020, which we were thrilled about. We were like, wow, people are spending $30,000 on our site. And then in February 2021, we had $75 million of, of GMV. So I definitely would not have predicted that kind of growth in uh, such a short period of time. It's uh, been pretty insane to witness. So honestly, who knows what, what it'll be like in a year. Yeah. And do you see any like specific types of NFTs sort of like booming more than others? So if we're talking, you know, obviously Nifty Gateway is mostly about art, but if we're also talking about like music NFTs or, you know, like thinking about Unisox, like physical product NFTs, things like that, like, do you see a specific type of NFT really shooting ahead in the next year? So honestly, I've been in the space a while and every time you tell someone about it, they, their reaction is almost universally well, like NFT digital art is dumb, but what if we used NFTs to track physical products? I've never really seen a, an NFT physical product tracking use case that I found very compelling, frankly. I've seen like physical items paired with NFT digital art sales, and that seems to get people excited, but there's no claim of like, okay, you must own like the NFT, like authenticating a physical item. Again, I've been in the space two years. I've never really seen something that has gotten me excited. It's possible that people will make progress in that area, but I certainly would be surprised. And it seems like kind of a weak use case of, of blockchain. I think art is going to continue to, to do awesome. I've also really like long been of the opinion that w after one use case of NFTs breaks through, we'll, we'll start to like see a lot more interesting use cases. Like people have always talked about video game items as NFTs. I think there's really some fascinating potential there. I've always thought that there's a number of like physical, physical like tchotchkes in our life that we could replace with NFTs. You know, like uh, like Christmas cards, for example. You know, like what? Why are we all sending Christmas cards to our family? We could just send them NFTs instead. That I think that would be kind of cool. I agree with that 100. percent This is like an annual debate. I'm like, why? Why are we doing this? Right, and then you just you end up with a physical card. It's like, where do I put this? And an NFT is like, you could send someone an e-card, like an email, but that's like that's kind of lame. And an NFT, it's like, okay, well, you went through the trouble to like mint this thing for me, so. Is there anything new happening for Nifty Gateway in 2021 that people should be aware of? Nifty Gateway, I think, is in a stage of uh, we've grown really quickly. And, and now our, our focus has to be like getting our legs underneath us and like solidifying the ground that we're on. You know, when we, when we launched with our, our current structure where all of the primary market sales are through drops and the secondary market is, you know, anyone can participate. When we launched with that structure, we didn't even know if that was the the direction we would end up going. We sort of thought of it as, as an experiment. But honestly, it's it's just sort of that format has like grown faster than we could have possibly expected. And so really our focus is just on like fixing the core product and making the core product awesome. And then maybe after that, we'll, we'll think about what else we can do. We've experienced the same thing at Unstoppable. This has just been a huge year for crypto user growth in general. And like everything across the board is 10x what it was. 
you know, 12 months ago in a pretty short time. So <laughs> I know you're tired. I'm exhausted too. Like I wake up every morning and it's like, oh, got to keep going. Got You know, until, until this bull market is over, uh, there's just going to be infinite demands on the time of everyone working in crypto. I wanted to ask some more personal questions though. What was it like uh, founding a company uh, with your twin? Because uh, I don't know if people know, but uh, it's actually you and your brother uh, who put Nifty Gateway together. Honestly, it was a really great experience. You know, having an identical twin, there's already sort of like a mind meld and you guys think about stuff on a very similar similar way. So if you think about like founders and founding, founding a company in terms of like onboarding time, there's basically no onboarding time. Like you're already, you're already on the same wavelength about almost everything. And uh, that's certainly, that's like a, a huge advantage, I think, in founding a company. You know, there's also like that, that added layer of trust. It's much harder to, to screw over your brother, you know, because like my mom would probably get pretty pissed and, and call me if I tried to like screw Griffin out of the equity or something. So it's like you don't really have to worry about like trusting your co-founder, which I think is another added benefit. Um, so when you guys play like board games together, do you team up on the other people on the board game or do you guys or do you guys actually like try to keep it fair? I'm kind of curious. Uh, um <laughs> depends honestly if you're playing against us in a board game the, the strategy is like you have to turn us against each other which is not as hard as you might think you know, <laughs> because part of being an identical twin is like you're usually pretty competitive with with your identical twin so like and it's just a board game it's you know like the stakes are not that high so that's what i would recommend doing if, if you ever play Griffin and I in a board game. Yeah, next time next time we're in that situation. Another question here that I think people might find interesting is uh, what was it like to go through a tech accelerator like Boost VC? And I was actually curious, did you guys both graduate college before starting your startup or or did you take off a little bit early? Because I actually don't know that history. Shout out Boost, shout out Adam and, and Brayton, Natty, I hope you guys are listening. We were in the same cohort as uh, Unstoppable. That, that was fun, that was, that was a fun time. What was it like? Well, we're, we're actually quite grateful because we, we did both graduate college and then we both had jobs out of college, but I think we were both pretty, uh, pretty bored and, and sort of had that entrepreneurial itch. And I think like many people are our age and who like are in a similar situation, we kind of underestimated the difficulty of starting a startup by quite a lot. We, we severely underestimated the difficulty of starting a startup. So after we had both quit our jobs and we were actually living in a bunk bed in, in San Francisco we had one room and we were living in a bunk bed. We went out to pitch a bunch of venture capitalists and basically they all rejected us unceremoniously, which in hindsight is like obvious because our, our expectations were, were clearly misaligned and we were overconfident. But at, at the time it was, um, you know, it was worrying because we were trying to figure out how to like fund the company. We had, we had just quit our jobs to, to start. We ended up getting a little bit of traction with our credit card payment processing product. And that's when we met Brayton. So getting into Boost was like very much a lifeline for us because uh, I, I think it would have been hard to continue without doing the tech accelerator. And then Adam and Brayton were both enormously helpful throughout the whole process. It also helps you justify it to others, right? So if you're just like randomly sleeping on a couch somewhere in San Francisco and you have this idea for a company, uh, your friends and family are like, what's wrong with you? And like you do it for like three months, so like, okay, you know, he's taking a little like break off of real life and maybe we'll figure it out. When you get that first check in from someone, someone else that believes in you, that's like a, you know, a credible investor, all of a sudden your friends and family are like, oh, wow, they're actually doing a thing. And that gives you the flexibility to go the other, you know, six months, 12 months, two, three, five years, whatever it takes 
in order to get to that next step. Next question I want to ask you guys, you know, what made you guys decide to sell your company to Gemini? And, you know, do you see entrepreneurship in your distant future again? Uh, or did you do it once and you just say to yourself, that was way too hard. I'm never doing that. We're still operating Nifty Gateway inside of, of Gemini. It does very much feel like a, a startup experience. We're still really accountable to the customers. There, there's less uncertainty around, um, you know, complete failure versus like failing inside of a larger company. But it, it still does feel very much like we're we're starting a company and like growing the growing the team internally. So I think there are a lot of similarities. Honestly, the decision to sell to Gemini basically went like this: uh, we had finished Boost, and we were talking to a two to a few different VCs. Um, thinking about you know raising a seed round, and then we met the Winklevoss twins. I think we we got along with them really well initially, and they they seem like great guys. They seem like good people to work with. They floated the idea of an acquisition. Basically, what they told us is, hey, we think NFTs are the future too, which was really cool to hear because this again this was back in the time when like no one thought NFTs were the future. But they said we think NFTs are the future also. We think that there's like big benefits for you guys coming in and building out Nifty Gateway underneath the, the Gemini umbrella. And here, here's what the benefits are. There, there's a huge tech advantage like underlying all of this where Nifty Gateway in its current form was, is built on top of Gemini custody technology. That really wasn't possible without before the acquisition. That was not the case at all. And, and we would not be able to build the current product without like an absolutely exceptional partner who, who has done security and custody at the level that Gemini has done it before. So it, you know, it, it allowed us to realize our product division essentially. Um, and then, yeah, overall, there was also a factor where at that time we had gotten sort of a good amount of traction, not a great amount of traction. We knew that we were going to have to build a new product in order for, for Nifty Gateway to be like a billion dollar company. You know, we were still early on in our careers. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get the advice of sort of like, hey, it's billion or bust. But it, it can actually be really beneficial for your career to sell a company early on and to have an exit under your belt, like that's a that's really good life experience. And that really provides a lot of, of credibility for whatever you want to do. From all those perspectives, like, a, you know, it seemed like a, a compelling choice. And it, it must be comfortable to sell the company to another set of twins. You already know that they have at least that in common. So uh, <laughs> I always thought that was funny that the twins got bought by the twins. At least that's what we said in our Boost VC cohort. That was kind of silly to see that happen. One other question this is my last question uh, for you is like, are there any artists out there who you would just love to see come create some art, you know, on Nifty Gateway? Because let's give them a shout out. We'll put them on blast here. You know, the funny part is people always ask us that in this year of Nifty Gateway growing so so quickly, all of the dream artists have like, we're, we're basically in, tux, in talks with all of them. So like the dream list has been like- Fulfilled. Check, check next to the dream list, yeah. Well, well, that's uh, that's fantastic news. I'm looking forward to seeing all of those come to fruition and uh, the things that you guys are doing over at Nifty Gateway, super exciting. I love going and checking out and watching the drops that come up too. So I'm one of those people. Yeah, nice. So shifting gears here, the next segment that we have is called Explain Your Tweet. This is where I go through your Twitter and find a cryptic or interesting or funny tweet. I will say most of your Twitter is just uh, retweeting cool artists. So if you guys want to discover a cool artist and you're like, oh, it's like too overwhelming to just go on Nifty Gateway and there's like so many cool artists here, just go to Duncan's Twitter account and see all the artists he's retweeted. Very cool. Also, your pinned tweet is very educational as well. If you're still a skeptic about NFTs, you're wondering why would I want to buy a digital art when I can just, you know, download a JPEG or whatever. Go read that tweet. You'll learn a lot there. 
But there was one tweet that I wanted to call out. Uh, This was from January 3rd of this year. It's a a thread. You tweeted, my favorite part of my job is seeing artists get rich. My least favorite part is we can't work with as many artists as I want to. One of my main goals in 2021 is to figure out how to expand the number of artists that Nifty Gateway can work with. It sounds like you guys have already done that in the last two months since you tweeted that out. Then in a thread, you also tweeted, it's really remarkable how much higher quality the average NFT is now versus two years ago. Most people probably weren't in the NFT space two years ago or didn't even know what an NFT is. What kinds of NFT art were out there two years ago? The NFT industry two years ago was weird because like people didn't really have a great concept of, um, of what they were building. Like People didn't have a lot of conviction around like what NFTs would really be used for. It's easier now because there's digital art marketplaces like Nifty Gateway and others that are like really strongly anchored and like, okay, NFTs are used to authenticate digital art. But back then there was like CryptoKitties and there was a period in time where like CryptoKitties definitely had a lot of like short-term speculators and there was sort of like a bubble bursting of CryptoKitties. So back then it was like, there really wasn't, like people couldn't point to one use case and be like, hey, this is what NFTs are used for and this is why they're used for so what everyone ended up doing was kind of like hedging on that question. And a lot of the marketplaces or like projects that got built were built to accommodate just like way too many use cases of NFTs. So it's like marketplaces would be like, okay, we sell CryptoKitties, but then we're also working with this project that like we think will eventually like make house deeds as NFTs. And then we're also doing like, you know, all this other stuff as NFTs. So like there just wasn't a lot of conviction about like what specifically NFTs were like were for. You know, we were not the first like NFT digital art marketplace, but like super rare known known origin were like some of the earliest examples. Basically, in that two year time period, a, a few people with strong conviction were basically sat down and said, "Okay, NFTs will be used for digital art. I'm going to go build a marketplace that only does that, and people are going to come to my marketplace, and there's no ambiguity about what's on here. It's digital art, and that's like end of story. And that actually really helped anchor the whole." NFT experience. So two years ago, it was just like, you'd see all sorts of weird stuff. It wasn't exactly clear, like, you know, with, with any sort of, with anything really, with a company or like a lot of creative endeavors, there has to be a way to translate effort into results. And it, it's much better if there's like a clear path for exactly how to do that. But back then there wasn't exactly a clear path where if you sat down and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to spend hours and hours of effort to make the best possible NFT. It wasn't exactly clear what what that meant, like what you would spend those hours doing, partly because like people were so confused about NFTs, were actually, what they were actually for. Once it became clear, like, okay, NFTs are a digital art marketplace, then it's like, okay, I'm going to go find the person who spent 50,000 hours in their life making digital art. They've got to be pretty good at it by now. And I'm going to ask them to mint an NFT on my platform. That's a big reason why the space has progressed so much. Well, thanks so much, Duncan. This I love this conversation. I, I hope our listeners got some new insight into NFTs and the value that of NFTs uh, for people that were skeptics before or maybe just didn't really know much about it. Before you go, just tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally, as well as where they can go to check out Nifty Gateway and explain the, the cool UX on Nifty Gateway a little bit. Where can people go initially to do some cool and interesting things, both as consumers or as creators, you know, who knows, maybe we have some cool artists listening to this that want to create their own art and mint it on Nifty Gateway. How, how do they do that? The place you can find me is on Twitter. My handle is DC Cockfoster. If you guys know who has the, the DCF handle, please let me know because I'm really trying to get that. As you said, I don't really tweet much nowadays, mostly because I'm so busy at work. 
But once this once this bull market ends, then I'll be I'll be spitting out fire funny tweets that are mostly about NFTs. Nifty Gateway, just go to niftygateway.com. If you want to keep up with the drops, there's a form to put in your email address, and basically you'll get a, a weekly email with all the drops. That's a really fun mailing list to be on because you know you just get cool art in your inbox every every week. So I would I would recommend like signing up for that mailing list. Yeah, I think if you're an artist, like the best advice I can give you is like try and get traction on social media and try and get people to notice your art. We do play a curatorial role, but you know a, a big influence on our decision is like how how much like traction and how much of a following like artists already have. That's like a big key factor in deciding who we who we like launch launch work with. So go try and build your your traction on social media. Also like pick a style, like do something that no one else has done and stick to that style. That's honestly the best. I mean, this is advice from that people give in the physical art world as well. It's very very true in NFTs. A lot of the most prominent NFT artists have a very specific visual style that you could pick out their work from a mile away and be like, yes, that's their work. Like Twisted Vacancy is actually a pretty good example where before he started, you know, he was he was good with motion graphics, but he sat down and he researched a very specific color palette and he said, okay, all my artworks are going to use this specific color palette. And because of that, you can, his works are like very, very visually distinct and you can pick them out from, from a mile away. And so that that's honestly, I think a, a really important part of of building an art career is like having a visually distinct style. Awesome. Those are some really great tips. So go sign up for the newsletter for the drops. And if you're an artist, pay attention to these tips and get your art on FD Gateway. Thanks so much, Duncan. This was a lot of fun. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Matt, for co-hosting with me as always. Thank you listeners for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.